friend. I wish to announce that we will have our angel with us again all this season. It seems as if he was grounded for low flying. He was buzzing Hades. <laughs> as we told you last week, our subject this week will be how to be unpopular. There are so many books written on how to be popular. I thought perhaps you'd like to find out how you might be unpopular. I understand that Malenkov was a bit concerned about it. And he sent out a number of investigators through Russia. And coming back to him, they said, we discovered that 98% of the people are for you. And 2% of the people are against you. But we bump in only to the 2%. <laughs> I heard of a woman who was using deodorants for two years before she discovered she was just naturally unpopular. There have been many definitions given of an unpopular person. One is, an unpopular person is one who, uh, when he is asked, how are you, tells you. <laughs> Something very difficult to learn is that how are you is a greeting, not a clinical question. Well, the root of all unpopularity is selfishness. And we will try to illustrate that with one of our infamous drawings. You say, that's good. That is good, isn't it? That looks like an egg. I surprised me, little self. Unpopularity is due to the fact that one emphasizes too much what might be called the shell of the egg or the ego. The ego and I. <laughs> Every unpopular person is an I specialist. An ego in Latin means I. On the inside of the egg is the self, which is the real personality. The outside is the superficial self. The ego is what we think we are. The self is the way we really are. The ego is the way we would like to appear before others. And the self is our essence. Sometimes this shell is so very, very thick that it prevents the development of personality. There are tremendous potentialities in every human being in the world. But if this fortress of self is solid, it is impossible for any outside influences to come in. For example, good human influences and even actual graces from God himself. This ego has been called very often a superiority complex a rather inferiority complex. In the true sense of the word, there isn't any such thing as an inferiority complex. A person with an inferiority complex always feels superior. And I, I just happen to think of it now. Do you know why a modern bad boy is like a bad egg like this one? 
Neither of them ever get beaten. <laughs> One of the manifestations of the ego is that an egotist always likes to keep other people waiting. It's a habit of his. Because he emphasizes his own importance simply because he keeps them dangling. Did you ever hear the story of the... I think it appeared in Reader's Digest a year or two ago, about a couple that went out to a nightclub, and it seems as if the lady asked to be excused, and she was gone well over an hour. And the gentleman called a lady from an adjoining table, and he sent a note to his lady companion, and the note read, At least you could have written... This is the general foundation for unpopularity, the overemphasis on the ego. Now, there are two surefire ways of being unpopular. One is boasting. And the other is ridicule. Oh, incidentally, in a telecast like this, we aren't to think of other people. We're really to think of ourselves. This will remind us always of other people. First of all, boasting. Uh, there are various things of which a person can boast. can boast, for example, of, uh, well, of a family tree. Forgetful that many a family tree started with grafting. But the two things of which a person is most want to boast are, first of all, what he knows, and secondly, what he has. First of all, what he knows. Ever notice how many young people boast of the college to which they went? They want the college to reflect on their knowledge, rather than their, their knowledge to reflect on the college. It must be remembered that there are some colleges that are very hard to get into, but they're very easy to get out of. <laughs> then there is the person who is so conceited that you cannot tell him anything. He's omniscient. If a box is filled with salt, it cannot be filled with pepper. If a personality is filled with its own importance, and the assurance that it knows all there is to be known, and that the only things to be known are what can be seen and touched and scientifically examined. Such a person is incapable of being taught anything even by God himself. And therefore they close out that great higher knowledge, which comes from faith and revelation. Why is it that people vote? Notice that a man who has power, real talent, genius, intelligence, never boasts of these things. Have you ever heard of a real athlete who boasted of his exploits? The heroes of our battlefields, 
are reluctant to talk about their exploits and the way they distinguish themselves in the heat of battle. We cannot get our missionaries who spend two and three years in a communist prison in China to talk about their fortitude, how they stood up for their faith amidst torture. There's no need of boasting of it. They just simply take it for granted. Did you ever hear of a saint boast of his holiness? But when a man is not very holy, then he has to take on the air of holiness. He has to cultivate a certain tone of voice and a certain way of addressing you which will assure you that he is really a holy and a saintly man. It has not been unknown that men changed their voices when they got to be bishops. <laughs> but when a person has not real talent or real power, then he has to make up for his own insufficiency by boasting. And we said, first of all, he boasts of what he knows. And these are always very difficult people to meet up with. He's sometimes very fond of arguing. I know one man who was so fond of arguing because he's convinced of how much he knows that he'll never need anything with the degrees with him. <laughs> Apropos of those who pride themselves that they know so very much. There was a story going around about six or seven years ago which ought to be revived, which illustrates this particular point. It seems that this man stopped a friend of his on the street. There was a dead horse in the gutter, and he said, will you help me drag this dead horse down the street? So he dragged it down the street. Now he said, help me out, drag it up on the porch. Dragged it up on the porch, first floor, second floor, third floor. Now he said, help me pull it in the bathroom. He did. Now let's put it in the tub. So finally, they put the dead horse in the tub. And his friend said, do you mind if I ask why you do all of this? Yes, he said, I'll tell you why. He said, I have a roommate. I tell him I read a book. He says, I read it. I tell him I met someone. I met him. I tell him some event that I just heard about or read in the newspaper. He says, I know it. Well, he says, tonight when he comes home, he's going in the bathroom. He's going to come out and tell me there's a dead horse in the tub. I'll say, I know it. Another form of unpopularity is to boast about your wealth, and that you are a self-made man. Now, here we're not speaking of self-made men, or of poor men who became rich, but we're speaking of self-made men who always boast of that particular fact. Have you ever noticed how many of them, once they get a drink in them, then they have to tell you that I started as a poor boy. I didn't have a cent. The only time they ever began to appreciate poverty is when they began to be rich. 
And these self-made men very often go to prove the terrible tragedies of unskilled labor. Did you ever know a self-made man yet on whom his wife did not have to make many alterations? Tolstoy tells a beautiful story of, of these people who boast of how much money they made and how much power they have. He said that one day the, the prince offered a poor man all the land that he could encompass between sunrise and sunset. So he started out running in the morning and he was to complete the square by evening, sunset. He saw at noon, oh, he was running as fast as he could, that he would have to hurry to complete the circle. And he ran faster and faster, and just about five minutes before he closed the circle, he dropped dead, and Tolstoy ended his story by saying, and he got all the land he ever needed, six feet of it. <laughs> what some of these people forget we become very wealthy and boast about it is that the good Lord gave it to them. They dug a hole in the ground, oil spurted up in their face. They found gold. The good Lord put the oil there. But the good Lord is never thanked. I suppose that's one of the reasons they're so unpopular, is because they forget that they have to thank for these gifts. That's one of the reasons I always feel sorry for the atheists. Never has anyone to thank. Then there's another way to be unpopular, and that is ridicule. Why do people ridicule? They ridicule for two reasons. Thomas Jefferson gave the first reason. He said, a man ridicules when he has no reason for his position. And how true that is. That explains the attitude of the Soviets and the United Nations and their constant attacks upon the Western world. As they walk around this country of ours, they see freedom, economic prosperity, genuine happiness of mind and heart. And they realize they do not have these things at home. And at the bar of reason, which the UN is supposed to be, they cannot argue so they insult. And what is true of the Soviets ridiculing America is true of the man who ridicules religion and virtue in others. He has to have vice in his soul in order to ridicule. cannot argue out his position. Now, have you ever noticed that people who cannot argue with you on a certain position always want to bet you? And with that, there comes, of course, the cynic. Remember Oscar Wilde's definition of the cynic? man who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. A cynic is a man who cheats at solitaire and then takes everyone else in the world as a cheat. 
They're sarcastic about everything they hear, and sarcasm is certainly the chasm that divides friends. I heard of two Americans in Switzerland. This really and truly happened. One of them was a friend of mine. And this friend came up and he said, you know, there isn't anything beautiful in Europe. The cathedrals are old. He said, art galleries have nothing beautiful in them. Their religious paintings, for the most part, have none of the squares and circles that we have in our great modern art. What is there that's beautiful in all Europe? And this friend of mine said, well, look at the Alps. And he said, well, take away the scenery from Switzerland and what have you got left? And then, of course, there is the accuser. You go out without your rubbers. You catch a cold, he reminds you that you went out without your rubbers. You broke your leg, you should have stayed away from banana peels. Everything you do is wrong. And then, of course, there is the knife in the back man. Shakes hand with you all the way up to the elbow. <laughs> Haven't talked to you in three or four months, want something... Pretend he's all right. You always begin the conversation with, Hi, Joe, boy, old pal. <laughs> oh, this is too big a subject. The most important thing, of course, is to find out how to be popular. And the very easy rule to give is this. Never seek to be popular. Popularity is like happiness. Pleasure. You do not go out to find pleasure directly, you do something else and pleasure results from it. You do good, popularity comes. Popularity ought to be like bloom on a cheek. I don't know why I'm pointing to my own because I haven't any bloom in mine. <laughs> but you, a bloom is the byproduct of health. But rouge, that's artificially stimulated. And that's what the wrong kind of popularity is. As Walter Winchell once said of that kind of popularity, he said, uh, always be good to people on the way up because you're going to meet them on the way down. <laughs> and then another simple rule for being popular is to consider every other person better than we are. Really better. How can that be? How are they better than we are? Well, first of all, we can always know absolutely the worst that is in ourselves. But we can only suspect the worst that is in others. Since, therefore, we are sure of the worst that is in us and can only suspect what is worse than others, then they may be superior. And furthermore, all we can judge is the outside. They may wear poor clothes they may smell of garlic. They may not speak English well. Maybe on the inside. They love God far more than we do. And then they may not be very lovable on the outside. But the good Lord loves them. Did you ever hear the story about Abraham? It seems that a visitor came to his tent one night and he took in the visitor, he served him his best wine, he gave him his cot, he waited on him hand and foot, and the visitor complained constantly, and finally Abraham said to the visitor, get out. And the good Lord spoke to Abraham, and he says, listen, Abraham, 
I've been putting up with that man for 50 years. Can't you put up with him for three days? <laughs> there is only one way in the world to find people lovable, and that is to put some of our own love into them. That's the way the good Lord does with us. There isn't anything lovable about any of us. Why should the infinite, sovereign God love any of us? Just sit down and think that out for a second. There isn't any reason in the world why he should love me. Or you. Why then does he love us? Will he put some of his love into us? And therefore he finds us lovable. Then when we begin to put our love into other people, we find them lovable. We do not seek to be popular. We seek to serve them. Because we see even the divine image in them. I was in prison and you visited me. And therefore, the secret of all popularity is that which was given by John the Baptist when he saw the sovereign Lord incarnate approaching him. I must decrease. He must 